Second reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Early in the uh, early 1800s uh, in Europe, uh, there was a, that was a time of the Napoleonic Wars, and all of Europe was basically drawn into this war with great sea battles and great land uh, battles of movement of soldiers. But it was really the sea that captured uh, historians' hearts as they read about uh, and studied these great uh, these great wars between these massive wooden ships and cannons and and all those things that you've seen in movies and read about. Uh, one unlikely participant in this uh, ongoing kind of global war there in the powers of Europe was Sweden. Um, Sweden got drug into the into the Napoleonic Wars basically through alliances with other churches, or other churches, other countries. Yeah, I'm just getting back in the groove. You know, it takes me a little while to get those words going. Um, with other countries, kind of got drawn into this war, um, and they had a very large navy. Again, large wooden ships uh, with sails. Uh, very capable, but they were no match for the French fleet who had been fighting for years and really knew what to do, and the Swedish fleet was basically destroyed. So the king of Sweden was contemplating his next steps, trying to decide what to do, and um, the uh, naval, the head of the navy came to him and said, you know, we can't rebuild that fleet. We don't have the material. We don't have the wood to rebuild the ships. So the king contemplated that, that problem, and he sent his interior minister out into the country to find the best place to plant some trees. So hundreds of men from the, from the government went all over the country of Sweden looking for the best grove of oak trees that they could find. And they found an island in the middle of uh, the largest lake in Sweden that had some really tall and straight oak trees. And they took that land over, about 1,000 acres, and the king had them plant over 300,000 oak trees. The trees were groomed and trimmed and taken care of to make sure that the trees grew tall and straight and perfect for shipbuilding. So they had their forest of oak trees and all they had to do was wait. All they had to do was wait and hope for the trees to grow. Today for us is the first Sunday of Advent. It's a time in the church of expected waiting. Just like the Swedes waited for those trees to grow, we also wait. This Advent season, we will journey together to the birth of the Christ child through the eyes of the prophets from the Old Testament. My hope is maybe this will help us in this Advent season uh, approach it a bit differently, to see it differently, a way to experience the coming of Christmas through this different lens as opposed to the lens of that next big gift or the soft red glow of Rudolph's nose.
We Christians do look at the world a bit differently anyway, sometimes, maybe most of the time. Now, the world counts down to Christmas, but we count up. From this first Sunday of Advent, as we lit this candle, we begin the liturgical calendar of the church. We count up to hope, to the days of the coming and the birth of the Christ child. We count up to hope, just as the prophet Jeremiah told us, to anticipate hope and something was coming, those days are surely coming. For some of us, that may be kind of hard to see. Our minds are so full of what's going on in our own world. Some of us are dealing with even life and death matters. And yet we pause at this time to worship, to gather together as a church family, to be healed in God's radiant grace, to seek that day is coming in God's world. But I'll admit it's hard to do. It's hard to see hope sometimes in a crazy and confusing life, in a world that seems so filled with violence and senseless tragedy, as we continue to see that just week after week. Or even in our own lives, we have choices to make. We have decisions to ponder. We have diagnosis to understand. It just seems a struggle to see the hope. Sometimes it's even a struggle just to get out of bed. Such is the life of our prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was alive and in Jerusalem in the final days of that great city. The history of that era is very important for us to understand, to understand this scripture, this prophecy from Jeremiah of hope. Jeremiah faced unimaginable threats and witnessed the whole destruction of his city. Yet he clung to hope that can only be found in the God of Israel, the God he served, the same God that we worship this first Sunday of Advent. In Jeremiah's day, the Assyrian Empire was on the rise. They had conquered most of the Middle East and even mighty Egypt. They had enslaved the northern kingdom, and at that time, they were the world's superpower. But as quickly as the Assyrian star rose, it fell and fell very hard to the Babylonians. The Egyptians would fight back, but the Babylonian leader, Nebuchadnezzar, was just too strong, his army too great, and he would take over and eventually conquer Egypt. Then Nebuchadnezzar turned his eyes toward Jerusalem. After surrounding the city and laying siege to it for over a year, the walls that had protected the city were finally breached. The king over Judah and Jerusalem was captured, and the city itself and the temple were destroyed. It was the Babylonian custom to take the best and the brightest of those that they conquered back to Babylon. And so it was in Jerusalem. The leaders, the craftsmen, the artisans were all packed up and bundled off to Babylon. The city was left exposed. The walls of Jerusalem that had kept that city safe for many years were completely torn down. Its treasury emptied. Its treasures blundered. Its fabulous temple destroyed. Even the priests were taken to Babylon. Those that were left behind were open season to traveling marauders and even the Babylonian occupying army. All the evil that humanity can experience 
was in Jerusalem after that. Murder, rape, starvation, disease, there are even some records of cannibalism, all on display in this unprotected city. But some people were able to get away and escape to Egypt, and that is where Jeremiah fled. Yet with all this, with all that he had seen, with all that he had experienced, his life, his city in ruins, Jeremiah still held out hope. So with all that in mind, with that picture in your mind of what he had been through, maybe these words sound a little different. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The days, they are surely coming. The days without disease, without pain, without suffering, when God will set the world right. A couple of words I want us to remember here is righteous branch and righteousness. The Hebrew word used for righteous and righteousness are, has two English meanings, right and justice. So it is right justice. A world with right justice is a world that God desires. For the ancients, right justice was an attribute of God. So the righteous branch from David would be someone from the line of David, the king who walked with God and held favor with God, this righteous branch would bring right justice to the world again. Now, if any of you have ever tried to cut down a tree or a bush, it's not that easy, is it? In fact, it's downright hard when you get down to that stump and try to get rid of it. And if you don't get rid of that stump, the tree grows right back, just like it was before. That's the analogy here. No matter how hard the Babylonians or really any other earthly power tried, they will not destroy God's plans. They will not alter God's ultimate purpose for the world. Jeremiah would not live to see that new life, the coming Messiah, but he never gave up hope. With the world that he had known crumbled all around him, Jeremiah calls to the people to see the future, God's future. So as we gaze on this lone candle of Advent that is shining for us this Sunday, it is not the destruction of a city that we remember, but we look to the future God has for us, and this light will point the way, a future and a hope. A future and a hope that makes us long for the day that is surely coming when God's future will be a reality a reality beyond the violent boasting of the ruling Babylonian governments that we experience today. We long for the day that is surely coming when in God's future, the poor are not herded into shelters or forced out into the streets. We long for the day that is surely coming when God's future has no space for violence against God's people and creatures, those who do not have a voice. We long for the day that is surely coming when God's future is evident in our words, our deeds, as the body of Christ 
here on earth and here in Mount Pleasant. By the light of the first candle of Advent, let, let each of us embrace the hope of Jeremiah, the hope of a future in Christ. So I want you to do something for me this week. When you have some time today, and for folks with little ones at home, I've had them at home before. I've got big kids at home too. It's still trying to find some time by yourself. Try to find some time by yourself today if you can. And I want you to make a list of things that you are hopeful for. A list of things that you are hopeful. Just make a list, jot them down real quick. Things that you're hopeful. And then look at that list and pick out one thing. Pick one thing from that list and pray over it. Doesn't have to be an elaborate long prayer. Just simply pray over that one thing of hope that God will bring it to fruition for you. <laughs> now, a bit of advice. If that prayer seems a bit forced, if you seem a bit uncomfortable with it, you might want to look at your list again. It might mean that maybe that wasn't something you were supposed to hope for. Ask God for clarity. Resolve to find the hope that is there that will draw you closer to God. Let us have the hope of Jeremiah as you look for the Christ child in the things that you hope for. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will be safe. And this is the name which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Oh, and that forest in Sweden that I talked about. The interior minister informed the Royal Navy when the trees were ready. When the trees were ready to be harvested. The year was 1975. It had taken 165 years to grow those trees. And well, there were no need for wooden ships anymore. Today, you can still visit that island the trees are still there. They're full of birds and animals play in the ground. People go on picnics and take hikes through the forest. They look up and marvel at the lovely tall oaks. It is a place to rest, a place to hear that still small voice of God that says, wait, wait, but I am coming. Let us pray. God of hope, giver of hope, help us in our hopeless moments. Turn our, turn our hearts and minds to the promise of the gospel. Turn our hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ. Strengthen our faith in what we have heard, especially in our troubles. Remind us of our true home that is with you in heaven. Help us to hope for eternal life with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.